You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, you got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. Hey, Pharmanizers, Cal here again from the editing room. If y'all have been following our social media platforms, you've probably seen the recent giveaways and the cool Let's Pharmanize merch we've given out. We are incredibly grateful for all of the wonderful comments about the gear, and we wanted to let you know that we heard you. So we've set up our own Let's Pharmanize merch store through Teespring, and let me tell you, it is so cool. T-shirts, hoodies, masks, neck gaiters, mugs, accessory bags, every Let's Pharmanize item you could ever want or need, we got them. And unlike many stores like it, the entire proceeds of your purchase will go directly to funding our Let's Pharmanize podcast. To celebrate this monumental occasion, we want to thank you by giving you 30% off your first purchase. Just use the code LP30 at checkout to get 30% off your order. To get started, please go to www.teespring.com slash stores slash Let's Pharmanize. Again, that's www.teespring.com slash stores slash Let's Pharmanize. The link will also be in on our social medias and in the description. Thank you for your continuing kindness and support. We can't thank you enough, but we can hook you up with the best merch in town. Also, take a pic and tag us with the merch to get an even better discount on your next purchase. Okay, that's it. Back to the show. Let's Pharmanize is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, home of the number one pharmacy podcasting platform in the world. Hello and welcome to Let's Pharmanize. I'm Shane Gerritsen. I'm Cal Vandergrift. And I'm Mickey Ferguson. And today, we're going to talk about Tylenol. All that, and I guess some more, on Let's Pharmanize. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. Okay, let's get the let's get the hype back. Okay, today <laughs> today Let's go. Awesome, awesome. Ow, that gave me a headache. <laughs> Today, let's start an episode with a question. What is the most dangerous drug? Bullets. Uh, Opioids, love. benzos, digoxin. Love. Love is the most oh, dangerous drug. I agree with that. Makes sense. Well, Jenna Hilliard from the U.S. Addiction Center would say you're wrong. She recently wrote an article about the top 15 most dangerous drugs a person can take. And while all those three medications I listed are on the list, none of them take the title of top dog. Despite all of the media popularity swarming some of these controlled substances, the number one most dangerous drug was something that 23% of Americans reported taking regularly. The culprit? 
acetaminophen. Tylenol, as it's most commonly referred to, is a pain and fever reducer that's going to be available in every pharmacy in pretty much every major store chain you'll find. Not only that, acetaminophen is a common additional medication put in other OTC drugs such as Benadryl, Dayquil, and Alka-Seltzer. And it can also be spotted in many more talked about medications such as Robitussin, Sudafed, Norco, and Percocet. All in all, over 600 OTC and prescription medications contain acetaminophen as an active ingredient. 600? 600. Wow. With it being in so many medications, you have to wonder how this drug works and why it's so effective. In short, we have no idea. <laughs> That's right. We don't fully know how the drug that is literally in 3% of the world's medications actually works. Now, don't let me mislead. We do know a little of what Tylenol can do. I'll do my best to summarize how this drug works because I know it can feel like we're diving into the weeds with some of this stuff. Okay, so there's three major theories we need to discuss. So cue the music, let's do it. Theory number one. Prostaglandins are these enzymes released by the body to cause a local inflammation to happen at a site of injury or in the brain to cause a fever. We think Tylenol is responsible for the inhibition of this process that makes prostaglandins. This is a similar mechanism of action as NSAIDs like ibuprofen, aspirin, and aproxen because the prostaglandin synthesis pathway is directly caused by an enzyme called... Is it cyclooxygenase? Cyclooxygenase, or COX for short. COX does a whole lot in the body, but mainly it can release prostaglandins to promote inflammation, pain, and fever. Inhibiting this pathway can alleviate all of those things I just mentioned. If you've ever heard of a COX-2 inhibitor, this is exactly what we're talking about. Okay, we've officially made it out of the weeds. Tylenol definitely reduces pain and fever, and it works largely the same as these other common pain relievers. So, that's it. End of the show. Thanks for listening. Oh, wait, shoot. You know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot to bring up this little piece of information. Okay, here it is. Tylenol is not an anti-inflammatory drug. But how can this be? It works on the same pathway as those NSAIDs. So what's going on? And herein lies the issue of Tylenol. To answer these questions, scientists have come up with two other alternative hypotheses. So play the music again. Here we go. The second theory on how Tylenol works has to do with the endocannabinoid system. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Speculation to, as to the cause of Tylenol pain relief has led us down the thought hole that it may act on the same receptors in the body that THC or marijuana acts on. These pain receptors in your body are what cause you to feel the sensation of pain. While they may sound counterintuitive, they're actually quite essential for you to survive. Without them, how would you know to rest when you're sick or not run on a broken foot? You can worsen your condition if you didn't feel pain, but blocking these receptors, however, can of course lower the amount of pain you feel because it's literally blocking the thing that makes that's making pain in your body. So, okay, this makes sense. Let's stick with this theory and call it a day. Thanks for listening to Let's Farm. You know what, what, I'm, I'm sorry. What did you say? Why, why doesn't it give you a high like weed? Is that what you just said? I did say that, yeah. You just said that? Well, I, um, well, the mechanism, wait, no. You know, life has a way, oh God, that's not it. Okay, fine, we have no idea. You, back into the weeds we go. <laughs> I see what you did there. Pun intended, by the oh. way. Groovy. The third and final theory on how Tylenol works has to do with serotonin. You may be wondering, wait, what? Serotonin? That doesn't make any sense. Isn't serotonin the thing that calms you down? Well, it's complicated. Did you know that serotonin is actually found in some things in nature, like scorpion poison and bee stings? This is likely because serotonin is responsible for controlling the reaction of nerve cells and brain cells. It can be either excitatory or inhibitory, based on which 5-HT receptor you're, you're binding to. I just want for the record, uh, I wish you guys could see me in Shane's face when he said uh, scorpions and bee stings. What was the face? I didn't even see it. Mine was like an O face. 
Mine was <laughs> just like a look of like, what? Yeah. Why? How? Why do you have that? Oh, so that nice. actually, that's really interesting though, because the bee sting, people use bee sting therapy. Mm-hmm. People will sting themselves with bee stings. Yeah. Wait, what? Intentionally. It was on My Strange Addiction. I recently Excuse me? I need to know this. It's what? taken on, like, it's, my, it's more than just like, was that just like one person who does it? Yeah, Lots of people person. do it. Yeah. People do it. They called her crazy because. Yeah. What is it supposed to be used for? Like anti-inflammatory properties and all kinds of other stuff. It just calms you down. I mean, also if you think about it from the perspective of like people who get like, I don't want to use the word addicted, but people who like enjoy, look, people enjoy pain. Yeah. Um, it releases endorphins and it makes sense for people to get that same similar like, rush like from a, a beast. Like a, like a hangnail on your thumb that you just keep playing with and you can't get rid of it. You ever, you ever have that? I mean, I don't enjoy those. That's you don't not enjoy those? No. See, sometimes not in I the slightest. Ugh. But like like tattoos and piercings, people get really into that and they enjoy the, the pain aspect of it sometimes too. Right. So, anyways, a little more serotonin in your body caused by drugs like escitalopram and venlafaxine can reduce depressive thoughts. But too much serotonin, however, is very dangerous and can lead to death if untreated. You may have heard of this. This is called severe serotonin syndrome. This can cause things like muscle rigidity, seizures, and debilitating headaches we call migraines. This is why drugs that activate the serotonin receptor in different ways like sumatriptan can actually be used for migraine relief. This is also why you see OTC migraine products will pretty much always have acetaminophen. So yes, no doubt acetaminophen can play a role in pain relief and fever relief in the brain, so we're definitely good now. No more theories or explanations, right? Right? Yeah. Okay, okay, fine. If this was true, how could acetaminophen prevent muscle pain or other pains in your body? It's not locally to the brain. It can help you with other things. No, it doesn't help quite as much as, like, like NSAIDs. People report NSAIDs have stronger issues because it's an anti-inflammatory drug. They have stronger pain relief, like a shoulder strain or something like that. Now we've come to a crossroads on Tylenol. Which one do we think is true? Is it the Cox prostaglandin inhibition behind door number one? The cannabinoid pain receptor blocking behind door number two? Or is it the different serotonin receptor expression behind door number three? But first, a quick word from our sponsor. In a world where you can start your own podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and many more, comes an application designed for podcasters all over the world that allows you to create, upload, and edit episodes, post on a schedule, and run ads on your show that will pay you from day one. That's right, a totally free way to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I want to say just gut reaction two and three right off the bat are not not correct and then one if one were true it would have the same sort of adverse events as NSAIDs so I don't think any of them really so one sounds like it could be a a plausible avenue Um, it wouldn't necessarily have the same it could potentially have the same adverse events but if it's metabolized differently like even certain NSAIDs are metabolized differently and they could go through different pathways renally or hepatically Um, I don't think it's endocannabinoid because, first of all, I don't like it. Second of all, um, it's, it's cute, but you've got endocannabinoid receptors all over your whole body. Mm-hmm. And for it to be really, I don't want to say selective, but 
sort of narrow in its 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 um, effects in analgesia and antipyretic effects because that's doesn't have anything else really going on, right? Analgesia, antipyretic. So one of the things with CBD is that it affects the immune system and it can suppress the immune system and increase your risk for infections. So that's just it's sort of evidence as to the prevalence of endocannabinoid receptors in I've your whole body. I've not seen that. It's, 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 it was like a large percentage. It was like 15%. Is in it in the, the published literature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in the Epidiolex clinical trials. It was, it was wild. It was like 15% Jeez. reported, um, I think, pneumonia. Like, <gasps> Well, I mean, uh, okay. Well, that epidiolex study was really, really small. It was like, uh, it was pretty small. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. No, see, I, I don't like that epidiolex study either because it wasn't really reflective of the population. I think we talked about this in the debate. Yeah. That I won. Uh, debatable. Ah! I really okay. like that debate. I think I won that debate. You weren't in that debate. Not the epidiolex one. What? <laughs> Hang on. We did the can- we did the cannabinoid thing. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about on the podcast. I thought no, you meant no, the no, actual no. debate we did the for school. Intro to for pharmacy Dean's, or Dean's intro. Yeah. Dean's we, intro. We debated CBD oil. Yeah. Yeah. Whose team were you on? Were you on my team? No, it was on the one where it's like uh, patients have the right or no pharmacists have the right to refuse to fill or yeah, something. Yeah, one of those boring topics. Yeah, we had no, I made it interesting. I t- talked about stomping Nazis. At the end of the day. They actually believe it's a it, it's a trick question. It's all three that they believe. No, we just uh, we just talked. I know about we just not. disputed it, but yeah. um, <laughs> we're like none of them. Sorry, they're wrong. Scientists, well, all of the all, all of the them. positive things. There's no one pathway that makes perfect sense for why Tylenol does the things that it does. So, oh, I don't. That's weird. Why, for example, is ibuprofen not an antipyretic? Because it only acts on the COX-2 pathway. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that would make sense. There's no antipyretic effects. But Tylenol, although reduced, still has that same COX-2 inhibition. This has been proven. So one okay. is definitely a way so, that Tylenol acts. Cool. Now, number two, the endocannabinoid system, kind of the same thing. You feel it all throughout the body. But the question is, how does THC interact? Or and CBD interact? There's still a lot more research that needs to be done on this. THC is in activator and CBD is an allosteric modulator or blocker. It's theorized mm-hmm. it could be one or the other. Yeah, right. Yeah. But why, the, so, and Tylenol is wrong. That's <laughs> why a uh, very high blend uh, THC uh, cannabis, not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Way higher incidence of psychosis among very high THC to CBD ratio marijuana users. At the end of the day, we need more research on that, on that endocannabinoid system, but it is theorized. Number three... <laughs> Um, sorry, we had a patient once ask if we had the endocannabinoid system in stock. <laughs> Wait, what? We had a patient come to our pharmacy and ask if we, uh, she showed me a pamphlet with, uh, from like, it was at my rotation site where we sold like CBD stuff, and there was a pamphlet about CBD and it had the endocannabinoid complex like as like a title. And she was like, do y'all have the endocannabinoid complex? Do you think they thought endocannabinoid system is like a transdermal system or something like that? I don't know what they thought, but I said, no, that's in your body. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you're coming up to me asking that question, I don't feel comfortable selling you anything with CBD in it. (laughs) Do you have the circulatory system in stock? (laughs) What about the upper respiratory system? (laughs) Hey, I heard about this RAS system. What is that? (laughs) Oh, I would love to sell someone RAS. <laughs> oh, man. Me too. Anyway. Okay. So, endocannabinoid mixed theory at, at most, right? Now, the last thing, why is acetaminophen in so many migraine medications? It has to work. It has to have some efficacy. But to do that, it needs to be in the brain. And 
oh. you know, all these other medications that we give for migraines, they do that. Does acetaminophen cross the blood-brain barrier? I don't actually even know. It has to, though. Uh, or else, how else could it have anti-migraine like, effects? My intuition says yes, but that's because I know it's a small molecule drug, and it's... Yeah, and it might work in a different way, or similar to sumatriptan in, in a sense, because it's binding rather to the excitatory receptors, something that serotonin actually you know works through. It might bind to one of those inhibitory ones. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which might help with a migraine. Let's get back to the thing that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Why in the world is acetaminophen the most dangerous drug on the planet? Is it because someone once filled Tylenol with capsules with cyanide? Or does it create some freaky metabolite that wrecks your insides? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> does it cause early onset Alzheimer's or something? Actually, it may harm the thing that processes every pill that you pop, every KFC chicken drumstick you eat, and every beer that you drink. Or apple juice for me. <laughs> That's right, our old buddy, the liver. Now, y'all probably both know that Tylenol does some damaging things to the liver. Mm-hmm. But there's a specific mechanism as to why, and Mickey actually got it right. There is a, meta- there is a metabolite that can harm your liver. Uh, yeah, because I got reamed in case rec for getting this pathway wrong the first time. It's just like, oh, that's... It was in front of the whole class, too. That was rough. Now, a lot of people who have had some sort of chronic pain have probably been told by their doctor to alternate ibuprofen and acetaminophen as one affects your kidneys and one affects your liver. Now, this is definitely true, and I would recommend continuing this practice if applicable. Makes sense. But how exactly does acetaminophen affect the liver? Back down the rabbit hole we go. Acetaminophen is primarily metabolized by the liver via two different pathways, sulfation and glucuronidation. Despite what some may think, acetaminophen, nor its sulfate or glucuronide metabolites, actually do harm in the liver. So what does then? Well, the toxicity of acetaminophen actually occurs when there is too much present in the liver. When this happens, the body recognizes that there is just too much sulfate sitting in the liver. Sulfate, by the way, is commonly found in detergent and shampoo. It can be very dangerous ingested on its own. When this happens, the body freaks out and sends in some of those old reliable cytochrome P450 enzymes to deal with the situation. CYP450 enzymes, as we know, are extremely good at their job break down whatever stuff is in the liver, and get rid of it. The problem is, when the body doesn't have time to carefully go through sulfation, it can make mistakes. The metabolite of acetaminophen, when broken down by CYP450 enzymes, is called NAPQI, N-A-P-Q-I, NAPQI, and is a toxin that is only organically made via this metabolic reaction, and is usually broken down immediately after it's made. However, this is in a perfect world when the liver doesn't have any other job but to break down acetaminophen. The problem is, our livers are working all the time. These CYP450 enzymes are released all the time to break down the other things that we consume, other, other drugs we take. So, when you take another drug, or drink a beer, or eat that KFC, there's going to be more CYP450 enzymes available to break down acetaminophen into NAPQI. And if the liver can't break it down fast enough, it will cause permanent, irreversible damage to your liver. Many people assume that you can only have liver damage from taking over the recommended dose of Tylenol. This, we have found, is just simply not true. The NIH approximates that about 450 deaths occur each year from acetaminophen-associated overdoses. 100 of these are completely unintentional. Analysis of national databases also show that acetaminophen-related overdoses account for about 50,000 emergency room visits and 25,000 hospitalizations yearly. Jeez. So, in short, be careful what you put in your body. Sure, that headache or muscle pain may be painful now, but it doesn't even compare to the pain you could experience after taking too much acetaminophen. And please, medicate responsibly. So, 
The liver takes something that's only semi-toxic, the sulfate, and then breaks it down into something more toxic? Correct. It'll break down acetaminophen. It won't, it'll produce from that sulfation. Right. Right? So you won't have those unless it's going to break it down into sulfates, but then it quickly clears. Okay. And it'll break it down even further. But if it doesn't have time to break that down, because there's a lot of CYP450 enzymes, if there's no CYP450 enzymes, you're in the clear. But if there is CYP450 enzymes present, it's going to make this nacky. Now, this happens all the time. If you take a thing of Tylenol, you're going to have some nacky in your body. It's just the way it is. But if there's not enough of it, the liver does its job and it can, it can break it down further and clear it. Oftentimes, this isn't the case. If you eat like a really, really big fatty meal that needs to be digested by the liver, then take six Tylenol tablets, you're going to be in danger of having some liver toxicity. That's why I hate the liver. The liver is the stupidest organ. Kidneys are the best. Kidneys all the way. I wish I had... Kidneys are like the weak stepchild, though. They don't work very well. Kidneys are the best. I wish I had a kidney instead of a liver. I wish I had a third kidney. Just a third... Like made of three kidneys, a big kidney? Yeah, yeah, like a really big kidney. Yeah, just like your entire back is just a kidney. Yeah. (laughs) Just so many nephrons. Yeah. Yeah, you have over a million nephrons in each kidney. Bro, that's crazy. Nephrons are sexy pipes. (laughs) Talk about some sexy pipes. Those nephrons, baby. So... I, did, I, I had heard that Tylenol was bad for you long-term, and I didn't know to what extent or exactly how the mechanism behind it. It's definitely not endocannabinoid, though. Like, that's one thing we can rule out. Anybody who thinks it is, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, show me the data. Like, show me the affinity for the cannabinoid receptors. Right. It is. I mean, I'm sure it's out there, the specific data. I mean, I didn't dive into okay. super weeds, but... <sighs> super weed. <laughs> Hey, you made it. Thanks for listening to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get updates on when we post new content. Also, go check out our website at www.letsfarmonize.com for blog content and old episodes. Finally, a special thanks to Kelly Kerr for creating the music for Let's Farmonize.